I'm going to kind of take the occasion this morning to do as Michael did with the beginning of the Lord's Supper. To simply talk about newness, but sometimes newness means going back to something very familiar. That sometimes can be lost or not seen as it should be in the light of new things that are always coming along that can be distractions. I want to talk this morning about seeing what is most important. Because in a moment we'll look at a text where the Apostle Paul with the Corinthian church took them aside and said, here's what's most important, though he addressed many topics with them. And there are many other things he could have addressed and actually did address in this letter. He says, this is what's most important, and we're going to use that as an understanding of what is most important to us today. I want to first, though, share with you my experience at the end of a last semester with my students. In the time period between the Thanksgiving break and the Christmas holiday break, it's kind of the student scramble in high school. The students know that they will no longer be getting just progress reports. Uh, they will get a final semester grade that will give them credit or no credit for the classes they've been taking. So all of a sudden, in about three weeks, they decide we're going to get really serious about our work. But then sometimes you get panicked because some of them on their online computer grading uh, tr course tracker, they realize there's assignments they haven't turned in. They just see a big zero for that assignment. It goes all the way back to September, something le they left out, or they have some big 100-point assignment uh, that they never wanted to do and they don't want to do now, but it's looming right there. And they're struggling to figure out what is most important for them. And I had one student, uh, this appearance, wanted to go all the way back to September. And he wanted to get some five-point assignment done. Mr. Mulligan, can, can you give me a copy of this assignment we did in September? And I go, Fernando, this is not what's most important. As we look at your below 50% grade in my class, we need to work on this 50-point test that you did not come to at all when it was administered. I will print you a copy of that and let's get to work on that because that is what is most important. He picked out something important, but he didn't pick out what is most important. So in scenes like that or in other scenes where I simply had to tell all my students, the most important thing right now is you talk to your teachers and let them tell you what's the most important assignment you need to work on because you don't want to be working on something that it's too late to turn in or it doesn't matter a whole lot. Talk to your teachers. That's the most important thing. And I kind of listed in order, here's the most important, because they needed that for the end of the semester grades. Well, we need the same thing as believers at times, because there's a lot of important things going on, or there's always things that we need, think we need to attend to. We always would want to improve our lives in prayer. We always would want to improve our personal Bible study, or maybe we want to improve uh, being involved with our neighbors and getting to know them better, and being a good influence in their life. And those are all important things. But sometimes the most important things can uh, not be readily recognized and, and they can be missed. So I want to look now at 1 Corinthians 15 and kind of set a foundation for looking at what's most important because we'll see what Paul said is most important. And then we'll shape our points from... Uh, this text, and then see how it applies to our life, or see how these points apply to our life. 
First of all, just a background to 1 Corinthians. Let me just kind of help us understand a little bit why all of this is here. I got this idea from Jay. Uh, before you go into a biblical text, spend time with it so people know where it's coming from and why it's important. Uh, written by the Apostle Paul and a man by the name of Sosthenes. Uh, that's indicated in chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, chapter 16, verse 21, Paul says he wrote this with his own hand. But the Apostle Paul is what's called an apostle, which is one set with a mission. He was a hand-selected follower of Jesus Christ, um, designated to go out to the non-Jewish world to teach people about Jesus. He wrote one of 13 letters that are in our New Testament, very prominent apostle, which is someone selected directly by Jesus for a mission. His readers are the church in Corinth. Uh, Corinth was a very cosmopolitan city, uh, known for its vices in the first century, a lot of moral corruption. But there was a small group of believers there, and he's sending this letter to them. They were already baptized, but they are infants, more or less, in a figurative sense, as believers. They didn't really even know how to take the Lord's Supper properly, or they weren't, and he has to address that. In chapter 11, uh, he has to address, address marriage, uh, he has to address idol worship, things like a lot of fundamental things he has to address in the church at Corinth. He wrote it around 55 A.D., Jesus crucified, 33 A.D. approximately. So here it's in the early stages of Christianity. He's writing from the city of Ephesus, and he would often do that, send a letter from one place to another church that needed direction. So he indicates that in chapter 16, 19 through 20. Also, he mentions uh, this in Acts chapter 18, verses 24 through 26. But his main purpose in this letter is to instruct on church unity. Because the church has divided itself in different groups based on who baptized them. They have different beliefs and understandings. So he spends a lot of the book simply writing about being unified as a body. But he also writes to answer their questions. And one of their questions was about the resurrection of their own body. That is, after they died, would they return to a body that would simply be called a resurrected body? A lot of them struggled with that. They remembered what the dead body looked like of, of relatives that had passed on. They struggled with this whole idea of coming back to life. He spends the entire 15th chapter on that topic. But he begins talking about the resurrection with these four verses in chapter 15. Let's look at these now because these will be what we focus on now that we kind of understand the context of the letter. Verse 1, chapter 15. Paul writes, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Verse 2. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ 
died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, verse 5, and then to the twelve, after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters, at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. We'll just stop at this point. It's tempting just to continue on. But this is a fundamental text where he reminds the Corinthians and indirectly reminds all of us of what is most important in our lives as Christians. And we're going to look at what is most important in three points. And here's the first. That is the most important reality in our lives is what he simply calls the gospel. The most important reality in our life, whether it be entity, truth, uh, something that guides or directs us, it's more or less the spiritual oxygen. Just like oxygen is critical to our physical body, what is critical to our spiritual life, our existence before God, is what he calls simply the gospel. Again, he says in verse 1, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. Then he says, I preached to you uh, which you received, on which you have taken your stand. Then verse 2, By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you believed in vain. So twice he hangs everything they believe on this phrase, uh, the gospel. You might think, well, I've heard that word before. Um, I've heard of gospel music. Uh, my family grew up on southern gospel. It's a very soulful type singing. But that's not really the fundamental meaning of the word gospel here. In the original language the New Testament was written, the word gospel simply meant good news. It meant something that was good to hear that more or less changed your life. And it became the word that was used to describe this message of Jesus Christ and what he's done for our lives. Paul simply calls that the gospel. It was the news about Jesus. Sometimes the gospel would refer to how people responded to Jesus by believing in him and obeying him, repenting of their sins, being baptized. Uh, sometimes even the gospel of the New Testament referred to teaching about Christ that changed our lives. That was the entirety of the gospel. But at the foundation of the gospel was this truth, or these truths about Jesus that he mentions in verse 3 and 4 about Jesus dying for our sins, being buried, and being resurrected. But he says here in verse 3, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. So here is Paul is telling us, this is what's most important in your lives as Christians. It's this gospel or the good news of Jesus in your life. Now remember in the book of 1 Corinthians, he'd address many topics. Marriage and divorce, the Lord's Supper, idols, the church giving, all kinds of subjects were important. But he says this is of first importance. And sometimes, just as my cat has kind of reshuffled ourselves physically, 
to embody the idea of newness and Christ taking the Lord's Supper anew and the idea of doing something new as we take it. Uh, sometimes it's important simply to go back to see what's first important because things that are less important get in the way. Sometimes churches, as they grow, will concentrate on numerical growth and they'll want to get, make sure they get the numbers up, which is important in the book of Acts. Uh, Luke records the church had 3,000 at some point and then talks about it growing by another number. So church growth by numbers is important. Uh, sometimes it's emphasized in uh, the New Testament about church purity and holiness in the lives of members and, and that's important. That is we grow as as people and sometimes churches really emphasize what's called discipleship and following Jesus Christ in that way. Prayer is very important that we be praying Christians and it be a part of our daily lives. Our, our giving back to the Lord is important but Paul says this is of first importance. But sometimes even more than church reality, sometimes this the truth about God and what he's done through Jesus Christ needs to take prominence over things that are not even part of the gospel at all. Sometimes at the beginning of a year, there's a lot of emphasis upon the importance of physical health. And that's absolutely important. Thousands of gym memberships are being established this week at the delight of many gyms because people have determined that health is going to be very important in their life. And, and that's a good thing. Um, politics, uh, it's, at least according to the news, it's very important. And we're going to hear a lot of political things over this election year and, and talk radio and things like that. It, it can be very consuming where it's all that you hear. Uh, sometimes it's going to be entertainment, things coming up. Uh, Got interesting in uh, the media, this program, Shen Yun. Uh, it's everywhere. It's on Facebook, on TV, and boy, they are advertising. You think that's the most important entertainment venue to ever go to, and it's probably really good. If you're getting up in years, retirement will always be looming and be something that's very important that you prepare for. Friendships will always be important. So there's all kinds of important things. But what God wants us to know that is most important is what is simply the gospel. And that, again, is the core truths of Christianity. Where Paul says in verse 3, I passed on to you what is of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the first day, I'm sorry, raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. We're going to focus on that now. We're going to see that the gospel involves life-changing events. As we try to get a handle on what is most important, what Paul isolates for our lives are three truths about what it means to be a Christian and what we believe. The first thing, that Christ died for our sins. The second, he was buried. And third, that he was resurrected. These are the facts of Christianity. That if they're ever removed or they're shown not to be true, Christianity disintegrates. 
Uh, Christianity is not just a religious movement where people try to be better people. There are plenty of other movements out there if you're trying to be just a better person. Uh, join that movement. But the Christian faith and what it means to be a Christian is based on us believing. Us believing with all of our heart and our mind that three things are true that have happened in the past. Christianity is based on historical fact. Yes, there are feelings that come later about being devoted to Christ and a lot of things that involve affection for the Lord, but fundamentally the Christian faith is based on facts. That these facts aren't true, or if you don't believe them, Christianity becomes of no value in your life. Let's talk about each three, each of the three, I'm sorry, just briefly. <coughs> Excuse me. First of all, Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins. This is probably the truth we're most familiar with. Every first day of the week as we honor today, we re remember that Christ died for our sins. He set up the memorial before he was ever crucified. He told us to remember on the first day of the week his death. And we remember it through the element of the bread, the unleavened bread, and the grape juice, or fruit of the vine, his blood. We remember these things because they're the core truth of our lives. And what it means that Christ died for our sins is this. We had a terminal condition. Beyond cancer, beyond leukemia, ALS, or any of the other horrific terminal conditions we might experience physically today that have no cure. All of us, once we committed sin, were guilty of an offense before God that had no remedy within ourselves. We couldn't do enough good to make up for the wrong thoughts or the wrong actions, the lies, deceptions, the unfaithfulness, whatever it might have been in our life. Stealing. Whatever it was, once we committed that sin, there was no way to remedy it. There was no one in our immediate lives that could do anything for us because everyone had their own sin problem. Basically, the human population became a group of people walking around that all shared the same terminal condition. They had committed sin before God, and the Scripture states, whether we agree with it or not, or like it or not, that we are worthy of death because of that sin, as Paul states in the book of Romans. And just like someone doesn't feel like they deserve to get cancer or they, they should get some disease and, and they're right, we may not feel that our sin is worthy of death, but God says it is. We have to come to terms with His understanding. But the story of Scripture and, and highlighted in the songs that Nathaniel sang, the old, old story that we sing, is that God provides a remedy and that remedy and that cure for our sins is his own son sacrifice. That Jesus gave his sinless life in sacrifice for us, and as we put our faith and belief in him, we repent from our sins, we're baptized, 
to be forgiven of those sins, where we enter into the water to have those sins symbolically removed from our lives, we are then cured of this problem of sin that is terminal if we stay faithful to Jesus and trust in Him for forgiveness through prayer and confession of the sins that we'll commit in the future. So as we consider all the important things, what is always going to be most important is that Christ died for you. That the sins that you've committed in the past and will be committed this very day, will be committed in the days and weeks and years to come, are forgiven through his death. Secondly, that he was buried. You might think, well, why is that important? I understand the death uh, for my sin, but... Uh, why the fact that he was buried? In the first century, there is a thought among many of the unbelievers that Christ really never died. Because they struggled with the idea of him coming back to life. And many that struggled with the resurrection could never see that possible. So that, well, maybe he never died. He just went into this very deep, semi-conscious state, perhaps. And he just was revived by the coolness of the tomb that he was part of. It was critical in the first century to establish that Jesus actually died, which means he was buried. He didn't just come off the cross in some semi-conscious state, but he actually was buried, indicating he had died. So that was an important truth to establish. And even today, as critics try to uh, blast away however they can at Christianity, Many critics of the faith will try to assert that, well, Jesus never really died. And that's how we understand the resurrection. It was more of a revival of his old body than anything else. So it's critical to understand that he was buried. Again, Paul says in verse 3, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried. That means he actually died. Not just he died sacrificially in the eyes of the Father on our behalf, but that he physically died. And it was something that was foretold when he said, according to the scriptures, it was foretold hundreds of years earlier that this is what would happen with the Messiah. Then third, it says that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. Here this now speaks of the resurrection. He's established why Jesus died as a sacrifice for us, for our sins. That he actually was buried, which means he was actually dead at some point. But on the third day, as the prophetical scriptures had indicated, he came back to life. And that's clearly portrayed in scripture as by the power of the Father. That Jesus not only died for our sins, but he broke the bonds of physical death, which were a sign of our terminal condition. Physical death was a sign of this terminal condition. So you find everyone dying, except for two people in Scripture, that God took up before they actually died. So our terminal condition of sin is represented in physical death, but here Jesus takes care of that. And through his death, our sins can be forgiven. But also through his life that, being, that is being raised back from the dead, this problem of death can be cured as well. 
So our bodies age and the signs of, of our physical deterioration become more and more apparent and felt. This becomes more important. Where you realize that this body is decaying. That we're not always going to be with our children or our grandchildren. And the things that we hold dear, we're not always going to have. And it's a fearful thought, and it should be. But here we find that God did something through His Son, Jesus, for that problem as well. And what we're told in Scripture is that through Christ's resurrection, the shackling of our own bodies through death is now broken because He paves the way for us to be resurrected. And through our faith and trust and obedience in Jesus Christ, even though we die, through our faith in what He's done for us, we will be resurrected. And that's what Paul will spend the entire 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians on, the resurrection. Again, we have this terminal condition that Jesus heals us of our sin. And then we have this physical condition of death that He cures as well. Where we don't have to fear death like we otherwise would, but instead can know that one day our bodies will come back to life, will be given a new body, and will live forever with the Lord. And that changes everything. You don't have to live your life trying to visit every place possible. You don't have to have a bucket list. You don't have to scramble to live it up. Because simply you know that your best life is yet to come. That we get through this life, we enjoy what we can enjoy, we endure what we have to endure, but ultimately our best years, decades, millenniums, will come after we die. Amen. When Christ resurrects us from our sin. That's right. These are the core truths of Christianity. And this is what Paul wanted the Corinthians to know. It's not all about it. It's an early chapter. Who baptized you and what group you're part of and what you do here and what you do there. The core truths are these truths about Jesus and what he's done for you. These are life-changing events. Amen. So even though our world gets caught up in other things and it's going to become consumed with politics this next year, you think it's consumed already? Just wait till this next election year. Right. Don't allow those things to consume your life. Don't allow your retirement to consume your life. I've got to enjoy more things. And even though there's physical maladies you might wrestle with every day, don't allow the frustrations with those to consume your life. You will have a new body one day. It will be absent all of those things. The things that pain you and hurt you on the inside now, the painful memories, separations, estrangements, Things that hurt you now and that no one knows you deal with. One day, all the tears of those pains will be wiped away. Amen. You'll be forever with the Lord. And he'll wipe every tear from your eyes, promise in the revelation. Amen. But we have to remember all of that's possible through these core truths. That Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and then he was raised from the dead on the third day. In our third and final point, Here's what now becomes critical once we come back to what's most important. That is, the gospel must be embraced and held tightly. The gospel must be embraced and held tightly. 
Look again back to verse 1 and 2 of chapter 15. Before he tells them what's most important, notice what he says about how they handle what's most important. Verse 1 again, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel which I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. Verse 2, By this gospel you are saved. And then he says, If, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. He says, If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you believed in vain. Here we find that this salvation, this resurrection experience, is conditional only in this way. That we hang on to it. And the challenge in the first century is the same challenge that we have today. That is, there are many, many distractions. They can cause us not really to believe in these things anymore. Or sometimes walk away from them. Uh, we live in a world that's hostile to Christianity now. We live in what historians call a post-Christian world. That is, there's not the assumption that most all of our friends and neighbors will believe in the Christian faith. It's just the opposite, and especially in this area where we live. Especially here, where there's a hostile view about being a Christian and what that means. Some people just have wrong understandings, but those wrong understandings have usually been brought to them by people that have lived Christianity the wrong way. Or there's a lot of people that have chosen lifestyles that are against what God says for us, and they see Christianity is against what they really want to do. So there's this hostility in our culture where we're always going to have to continue to have these assemblies that remind us of what's most important so that we hold firmly to them. And that Christianity never becomes just this, well, I want to be a better person movement. Yes, we do become a better person within the context of being Christians. But that is not what this relationship with Jesus is all about. It's all about forgiveness of our sins resurrection, and then our life is different because of those truths. The gospel must be believed and obeyed and embraced all the time. Yes, there are times where we're weaker. Yes, there's times where we're not praying as we know we should. There's times where we allow things to creep into our lives that need to be put back out. But the Christian life is always a life of restoration where we, we constantly come back and we don't spend a lot of time away from what's most important. We come back, and that's what Paul is saying here. He says, again, on which you have taken your stand, by this gospel you're saved if you hold firmly to the word. That you always come back to holding it firmly. Sometimes the challenge will be uninterested friends or family members that try to get you not to hold it so firmly. And they get frustrated by your faith and they don't see what 
You're holding firmly. But your challenge is to still hold these things firmly. And not allow anyone to get in the way of what you know is true. Not to allow our culture, as we said earlier, to make you just kind of disconnect from it and to see it as one of many important things. But you hold firmly to it. If sin enters your life, you deal with that sin swiftly and and you come back to confession and you repent of that sin, you get right back to working. And even if you find yourself giving in to many things or at times not having your priorities right, you always come back. That's holding firmly to the gospel. He doesn't say holding perfectly. He doesn't entertain the idea that everything will always be right. The Corinthian church had all kinds of problems. But he still calls them the church of God. And he calls them to hold firmly to their faith. Held tightly means followed and never abandoned. Our challenge today is to stand together with each other. And hold tightly to these truths and never, ever abandon them. Because if we hold firmly to them, that is to what God has done for us that we remember every week. One day, all that God has imagined, all that He's planned for, all that we've invested in, will come true. We will be in our eternal home with God the Father and the Son and the Spirit forever. And so powerful is that existence It's beyond description in Scripture. It's touched upon the revelation other places. But this is what God wants us to see as of first importance. And that He paved the way through His Son so that all these things might be ultimately realized. And that's why singing these songs are so important. That's why the communion is so important. Our prayers, our our Bible study together, our sharing our Christian faith Because they keep us holding tightly. They keep us holding tightly to what's most important in a world that wants us to be captivated by unimportant things or less important things. So this morning as we conclude, may we always be challenged to hold to what is most important. In just a moment, we'll sing one more song to encourage us and recenter us and to redirect us to always seeing what's the most important thing in our life. If we hold to these truths, we're saved in them through what God did for His Son. Everything is changed through what He did for us. May we live as a changed people, the people that can rejoice every day through what God did for us through His Son.